0: Last week, we talked about um, how God, among many things, is a Redeemer at His core. He's a Redeemer at His core. And throughout the Old Testament, from the time that Adam and Eve chose sin, He is working towards the redemption of His people. Now, God's redemptive work culminates in the gift of His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Our core statement on God the Son, Jesus Christ, reads... Jesus Christ, the Son, is God born as man. He is the second person of the Trinity and the only way to salvation. Born of a virgin, He lived a perfect life. Through this perfect life and His willingness to take our punishment on the cross, He provided the only way for our sins to be forgiven. Through His resurrection, He conquered death, paving the way for eternal life with God. He now sits at the right hand of the Father where He mediates on our behalf until his promised return. Just so you know when you read that last part of the statement you need to read it mediates and not meditates like I did multiple times this week. I was like this just does not make sense. Why why is he meditating on our behalf, at the right hand of the Father, but mediate made a whole lot more sense when I realized uh, there's not an extra T in there. And so, uh, we're just going to go through this statement. We're going to talk about the the different pieces of Scripture that we use to kind of build this statement, and we're going to talk about Christ, the Son, God, the Son, right, Jesus Christ. And so, we're going to start in Luke uh, chapter one, verses thirty through thirty-five. It says, and an angel said to her, "Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God." therefore the child will be born and will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, necessity dictates that Jesus be born of the Spirit by a virgin if he was to be the Son of God. Again, logically, if God exists, he does so without sin, right? We established that last week. If he exists, right? That's the argument. The argument is, is God real or is God not? It's not does he sin or does he not? Like if God exists, he exists outside of sin. And in order for Christ to be the Son of God, he must also exist outside of sin. Now, this sinless could sinless existence could not have taken place if he had been born of a sinful father and he had been born in sin through his mother. The power of God brought Jesus forth into this world. That is a necessity. That is a necessity. Now, I think sometimes in Christianity, and it's not w- w- super common, uh, but you will find those that argue that the virgin birth, it doesn't really matter, right? Like, he can still be Jesus if the virgin birth um, did not take place. And I think they do that uh, because they are uncomfortable with the virgin birth. Like, there's not, uh, we, we don't see a lot of virgins give birth right? Uh, I have never witnessed that happening at any point in my life. If you know a story, I guess let me know. But um, it's just not something that we see happen. And so people uncomfortable with that, trying to reconcile that uncomfortableness uh, with the rest of the world, trying to uh, make Jesus more palatable to them, will say, well, it doesn't matter if his, he wasn't born of a virgin because he can still be Jesus. And, and I got to tell you, I just don't think that that's so. I don't think that that's the case. I think that this is theologically significant. The fact that he was born of a virgin and born through the Holy Spirit because that means that he was able to enter the world without sin entering the picture. If Joseph is the father, he cannot be the offspring of God. If Joseph is the father, he cannot, Jesus cannot be the offspring of God. If Mary isn't a virgin, Christ's entrance into this world is sinful, and then Jesus cannot be God. Does that make sense? So logically, logically, he has to enter this world through the spirit of a virgin, moving ahead in Luke, we're going to look at chapter 3, and uh, Luke kind of moves pretty quickly. It's like he's born, and then all of a sudden, like, ministry starts, right? There's there's some more wiggle room and a lot, but Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, Jesus is getting ready. He's like on the, the precipice of his, his, his ministry, right? It's just getting ready to start. And he finds John the Baptist who's baptizing people and and submits himself to baptism, even though John doesn't want to do it, if you recall, because he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He recognizes Jesus. You're the son of God. I should be baptized by you, not the other way around. And Jesus said, nope, this is right for it is so. And, And he says, it says now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the in a in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. In this moment God declares Christ his Son, the Son. But the gifting of His Spirit solidifies Jesus as his equal. Now in my mind this is The most theologically significant moment when it comes to the form, formulation, formation of the idea of the Trinity. There are other scriptures and we'll talk about them where, where we kind of see Jesus being referred to as the son, but this in my mind, there's nothing more powerful and, and more solid as proof to the Trinity as this moment. God the Father bathes the Son in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. He is granting Jesus His Spirit at this time. It's almost as if we're seeing a passing of the torch, right? Up until this moment, God is actively working personally at all times and it's not that he stops acting in this world he's still very active in this world but at this moment it's like he's choosing jesus to be the vessel he's going to act through christ his son and it's in this time he gives him his holy spirit it's it's in this moment that we almost see christ's commission into godliness see he was chosen he was prepared here he is being confirmed. In Colossians 119, we are told that for in him, referring to Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, Jesus is not God light. He's not God zero sugar, right? It's not like he's diet God. He God. He, he is God. He is God. He is the fullness of God. And in John 10, 30, you know what Jesus says? He says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Not, hey, we're close. Not, he's my dad, I'm the son. It's we are one. And this statement in and of itself is extremely significant as well. Because he is saying they are of one mind. They are of one accord. They are of one purpose. They are of one goal. They are one in all ways. He is an extension of the Father. There's there's not a moment where God the Father stops and Jesus kind of starts, right? It's just this continuity of holiness and righteousness and godliness. It's all there In one package. And just so we're clear, Jesus is without sin. Okay, so he is fully God and he is without sin, both of which become necessary because without those things, we cannot experience the righteousness of God through the forgiveness that was won for us on the cross. Second Corinthians 521 says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, right? There's no sin, there's no sin that exists within Christ, none. He was blameless, spotless, the perfect sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And because he was that, he was able to become all of our sin. He was able to take the place of all, all of our sin. You know, if the Old Testament, I'm reading through Leviticus right now, and I have to tell you, it's miserable. It's miserable. I think everybody should do it once. I don't know if I'll ever do it again, okay? Now, there's, I'm not like saying Leviticus isn't important. There's, there's a lot in there that is just... Uh, I don't even want to call it interesting because it's very repetitive. Um, but it kind of takes you through the sacrificial system and how people, what they had to do to make themselves clean again with God. And I have to tell you, it's like goodness. You want to talk about code, like just knowing all the things. It's like, well, you know, if you're a leper. And you need to be clean again. You've got to, like, put blood on the tip of your right ear and your right thumb and your right big toe. And you've got to sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And uh, then you've got to, like, uh, burn this and burn that. And, but if it happened on a Tuesday, it happened on a Tuesday, you have to hop twice on your right foot and once on your left and then do a cartwheel. And I would be automatically dead, right? Because that ain't happening in my world. Now, I obviously am being a little facetious. And what Leviticus boils down to for me is this. Have reverence for God. Have reverence for God. Understand that, that God in, in all of his uh, instruction is doing so for two purposes. One, because he loves you and he wants to redeem you, right? We go back to that. But two, because he wants to see that you have reverence for him outside of the sin that you've committed. To go through this process shows that you're committed, really, Right? But here's Jesus, this perfect sacrifice, good enough, holy enough, pure enough to be good for all of us, once and for all, once and for all, because he knew no sin, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, but before Jesus could get to that point in his ministry, before he could be sacrificed on a cross, before even his baptism, uh, he was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit driven into the wilderness not by the, not led not encouraged to go scripture tells us he was driven mark chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 says the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by satan but but he was unscathed by that temptation unscathed by that temptation luke 4.14 says that after his temptation, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through the surrounding country. All of the surrounding country. And then if we skip ahead and we look at Hebrews 4.15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin you see christ's perfection in the face of imperfection makes him the perfect and necessary sacrifice to allow him to be the atonement for our sins jesus must be god in his fullest form because only the sacrifice of godliness true perfection could take away the sins of the world not just for the sins of the world in that moment but the sins of the world forevermore his sacrifice is one that is continually giving his blood is blood that is continually healing through what he did on the cross he is cleansing the leper's spots so to speak once and for all Holiness has been given to us in a gift of grace that we couldn't possibly begin to comprehend. We can't possibly begin to comprehend all that was accomplished for us on the cross. And the reason that we can't comprehend that is because we are not godliness. We are not righteous. We are not equal to God, but Jesus was. Jesus was. He was both fully man, experiencing all of the temptation that we have faced in this world. You know, Rodney made a a great point today in Salt Group, and it's kind of crazy how all this stuff is always matching up, but when Jesus was driven out into the wilderness and when he was being tempted, you know how he countered Satan? With scripture. With scripture. And I always go back to to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Referring to Jesus, but Jesus again, another another part of Scripture that is really kind of just formulating and 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 being a foundational piece to tell us that there's some equality there. Now, just so we're clear, just so we're clear, I think that that equality exists because God allows it to be so. Okay, I just want Jesus is God the Son, but Jesus. Was not in my mind. God, without God saying, "Here is equality, right? Here is my spirit. You are my son with whom I'm well pleased. I will work through you because I see your righteousness and I see your holiness and I see your sinlessness." Right? God the Father is still like we always look at the Trinity when they when they talk about Trinity. You're, you're in Bible class and they talk to you about the Trinity. They always do it in the form of a triangle. Right? And the top of that triangle, at the very point, at the head, is always God. God is the head of the Trinity. He is the power source, so to speak, of the Trinity. Right, The Spirit and the Son derive their power from God. So when I say that they're equal, I believe that. But I also want us to understand that they are equal because God has gifted it to be so. That is the redemptive quality of God, that he is allowing us redemption through the equality that he provided to them, right? But Jesus was tempted in all the ways. He was tempted in all the ways, but he never gave in to sin. And that to me is remarkable. That to me is remarkable. Now, I I don't, uh, now I'm not going to say that because that may be like on the borderline of blasphemous and I don't want to go there. But I just know my character and if I had the power to do all the miracles that Jesus does. And, and again, Scripture would tell us that if, we are, if, we are, if our faith is where it is, we can tell a mountain to jump from here to here, right? But I got to tell you, if I'm making mountains jump around, like I'm using that for my benefit, okay? Like I'm probably getting a little sinful. I'm weak, Like if I can turn water into wine, we're partying all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, I I just, I have some weakness within me. It's good that it didn't rely on me to be your salvation because y'all would probably freeze. I'm not giving you my coat, you know, like I'm sorry, bundled up, you know, but that's not Jesus. That's not who he is. He was able to sympathize with us and empathize with us because he experienced that temptation, but he's also able to bring about forgiveness for when we fall to that temptation, because he never, ever at any moment did ever, ever, not once, not like have a time, not like he was thinking about it, like maybe this Friday, right? He just didn't do it. Didn't fall. Didn't fail. Only the sacrifice of godliness, true perfection, could take away the sins of the world. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the repercussions of sin, the payment that we all must pay for sin is death. That's always been the deal. You sin, you die. Right? Sometimes in Scripture immediately. Luckily for all of us that are still here, not that way for us, right? We've experienced the grace of God because the gift, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In his resurrection, Christ conquered death. Paul tells us something in Romans 1 4 that I love. He says in it and was, right? He's referring to Jesus. There's like another statement, but I just didn't include it. And was, meaning Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Right? Paul is telling us that the resurrection proves. Jesus, the Son of God. Because only godliness could conquer death. Only godliness could conquer death. And here's the craziest thing to me by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we get to conquer death. I'm not godly. I'm not godly, I try to be. I I try to be godly, I try to improve all the time, I try to continue in righteousness, I try to sand off all the rough edges, and I'm always progressing to something better. I, I can see it in my life, I can see, you know, I always say, like, I'm a better person today than I was five years ago. And five years ago, I was a better person than I was five years before that. And at some point I was a sweet little chubby kid, like a little chair baby, and you know, it was great. I don't know what happened. Uh, things went wrong, but like I can see this progression as I go through life and it should be that way. It should be that way for the Christian. We should continually be working towards godliness. It's the race that we have been called to run. And it's not a burden. It's never been a burden for it's It's a desire for me. That doesn't mean it's not hard. Okay. I I want you to hear the difference. I'm not saying that it's not difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult Maybe more difficult for me than you. I'm telling you, I'm pretty sinful by nature. (laughs) Sorry, Lord. Right? Like, it's difficult, but it's not a burden. Not a burden. He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is like Paul, you know, he kind of ends this like, Jesus, my man, you know, like that's what I hear when he said, Jesus Christ, our Lord, like he's dapping him up, you know, what's up, Maddie? you know, through his resurrection, not only is Christ proven equal to God, but for us, for us, and I want to be careful how I say this, but for us, at least when it comes at least when it comes to conquering sin and being able to experience life. He equated us to sons of God. I get the same title as Jesus Christ. What? I get the same title as Jesus Christ. Through Christ, I am seen as a son of God. Through Christ, you are seen as daughters of the living God? We get to be children of God? How? How? I'll tell you how. Jesus Christ, my man, our Lord, only God can conquer death. Only God can conquer death. Jesus conquered death. Jesus is God. And you'll never hear me participate in little God theology. That's a thing. Look it up. It's scary. I don't think we're walking around like a bunch of little gods. But I think through the grace of what Jesus did on the cross, He has equated us to equal status, which is at least in the realm of experiencing salvation and being resurrected into new life? Just mind-blowing. Just absolutely mind-blowing. But that's the God we serve. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now, and uh, Lord, again, I hope I created more answers than I did questions. Uh, But God, we are just in awe of you. We are in awe of what you were able to accomplish through Jesus. We We are in awe of what Jesus was able to accomplish because he and the father are one and god it's at times it's an abstract thought the trinity is it's it's on its best days it's weird but again i mean to me it makes sense and if we can follow kind of the the rabbit trails through scripture we can see how uh, this idea is formulated we can understand how this idea is true and god at the end of the day It's true because you made it so. It's true because you made it so. It's easy to fall in love with Jesus. It's absolutely easy to fall in love with Jesus when you understand who he was as a person and you learn his character and how he treated others and the way that he built others up instead of tearing them down and how he was able to just be honest with them in love. It's easy to fall in love with Jesus when you really study who he was as a man. But we can't forget that he was also God. And we can't forget that he was God because you are God. And I think sometimes we focus so much on the redemptive work of Jesus that we forget that the redemptive work of Jesus is the redemptive work of God the Father. And a lot of us are New Testament Christians, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but God, we can't just be New Testament Christians. Old Testament matters as well. You are an Old Testament God and you are a New Testament God and you are working all throughout Scripture and Scripture in and of itself from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation is is redemptive in nature. And you are calling us to step outside of ourselves and you are calling us to be more than what we are and you are calling us into righteousness even when our own sinful hearts don't always want that. And because we fail and because we screw up and because we mess up and because we just can't hit the mark by ourselves, you gave us Jesus Christ, your Son. And Jesus gave us Himself knowing what He would accomplish on the cross by experiencing the worst possible death. And because He did that, because he did that, we we get to share in his title as children of God. And I know that there are people out there struggling to comprehend this. And I know that there are people out there who find that hard to believe because it is hard to believe. It is hard to believe, and it's not how our world works, and it's not how we work. But it's how you work. It's how Christ worked. And you and he are one. God, I pray that you would give us all strength and courage and conviction as we continue to walk every day with you. Lead us into your righteousness, into your holiness. In Jesus' powerful name, I pray. Amen. Stand with us. Let's worship. Let's worship. Let's worship. Let's worship. He deserves it. He deserves it. If you have something that you need to pray about, come pray with me, please. I would love to pray with you this morning. If there's anything you need to discuss, it's what I'm here for. If you want to use our stage as an altar, you can go straight to Him. Isn't that great? Isn't that awesome? If you have a decision to make as far as salvation is concerned, or membership is concerned, we can talk about that. If salvation, come now, like ah, let's take care of that now. I want to handle that now. But if it's membership, that can wait till after service. Come, come see me. Come talk to me. We can go through all the details. Uh, I just need your social, blood type. And I'm just kidding. It's a little joke, little joke. Enough of that, though. Let's worship.